Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. Today's sermon is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And um, I, I see a, a visitor in the back there, Pastor Dale. Our, our beloved Gil, he's on vacation this week for us. I'm, let me get this right, but our brother Gil is now preaching at Dale's church. So he's over here hanging out with us today. We're glad to have you. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 19 to 25, but before we read 19 to 25, go back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, I'm going to read verses, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, then we'll go back to Hebrews 10. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now move back over to Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25, and I'll read these, and then we will pray. Therefore, brothers, and that's brothers and sisters in the Greek, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh or through his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And, verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you with these words written. They're your word for us. We come in the name of Jesus. We pray that uh, you would give us great help as we think about these verses for us, as we learn more and more about the gospel of Christ and as we try to apply them to our lives as we go out from this place um, week by week but today I pray that Jesus would increase that I would decrease 
that we would decrease. I pray that you would receive glory and honor for how big and how great and how good, how glorious you are in our worship through preaching. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work. I pray that you would just help Christians today as we look at this text to be encouraged, to be convicted of our sins as you work in us in sanctification that we might turn and in more and deeper repentance and faith trust Christ who's covered our sins. I pray for the non-Christian who is here that maybe today they would see the gospel of Christ for the first time and turn and be saved. And Father, we just give you this time. It's, it's not about us. We pray that you would give us help. In Jesus' name, amen. So these verses today in, in verses 19 to 25, as we've seen, parallel Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And so if you go back to Hebrews 4, he was getting ready to introduce all of this doctrine for five chapters about Jesus as this priest, this new priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And so he begins, he said, since Jesus is our high priest, now I'm going to tell you about it. Then we come to the end of, of this, this doctrinal period place in Hebrews, which is where we're at. Now we're going to get, now that we know these things, how do we live? So now when he comes to verses 19 to 25, he says the same thing again, but he says, now that I've explained it, now let's live this way and let's do these things. He is saying, since Jesus is our great high priest, since Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant, since he now sits at the right hand of God, we can draw near. We can hold fast and we can love one another and encourage one another. That's the, those are the three things that I'm getting really for today from these verses. And so let me say though, right from the beginning by way of application, everything that we do as Christian depends on the fact that Jesus is our high priest everything. He is our access to God. He is, he is our source of life. He is our righteousness. This is why we must, as a church, we say often, hold on to this gospel of Christ. This is why doctrine in the last five chapters of Hebrews must excite us because it's speaking about our Lord, our Savior, and what God, as we learned from Sunday school this morning, in his great mercy, has done to, to save us. And so doctrine should, and we're going to end with that as well, but it should excite us. This is why the author of Hebrews spends five chapters defending this truth. For without this truth, we have no substance. And when we think about the substance of the things that the people put their trust in, we... We live in a sinful world, and this is the world that we live in. The substance of, of, of all the religions outside of Christ, there is, there's, no, there's no real substance. The substance of the, of the good Jewish person is still the old Mosaic law and the sacrificial system. That's their substance. The substance of the Muslim is a sinful man who they call prophet. 
the substance of the Hindu and the, the Buddhist, and the, they're related together there, is a plethora of idols. That's their substance. The substance of the Mormon, Jehovah Witnesses, other, other folks, their substance is just substance is good works, which really, that's the substance of, of the world. That's what distinguishes Christians from non-Christians is our, our, we, our good, it's self-righteousness, and we know that, that we stand because of the righteousness of another. And so in all of these cases, though, that I've just spoken of, there is no high priest for them who sits now at the right hand of God, who has passed through the heavens, who now sits victorious until all of his enemies, as we saw two weeks ago, are made his footstool. This is the glorious gospel of God, the Bible tells us, now revealed in the Son. And this is why we are here today as the church, as we come and we worship our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with this in mind, it was a lengthy um, beginning to the sermon this morning, introduction, but with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the specifics of this passage and see how the gospel applies to us. So in our text, we have three exhortations from this author, who is a pastor, who is writing pastorally to these folks there, and he's exhorting them. And so we get three exhortations. Here they are. The first one, draw near. Second one, hold fast. The third one, consider one another. So it's very interesting that these three exhortations from this pastor correspond with what we might call the three cardinals of grace or three cardinal graces, faith, hope, and then love. To draw near to God is to have what? Faith. To hold fast to something is to have hope. And then finally, to consider one another is to love. And so with that in mind, I have three truths. First one's going to be, we're going to speak about faith. Second truth, hope, and that's all we're going to get to today. Then two weeks from now, as we take the Lord's Supper together, we're going to look at love because I think they correspond, and I think we'll see that. So let's begin. Faith. Because of the person and work of our great high priest, we can have full assurance of faith right from the text. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let me say, begin by saying that we draw near to God because we have a great high priest. As verse 19 says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. There is no more fear and trembling for the Christian as God's children. So if you are a Christian today... You're not standing back away from the mountain as in the time of Moses and Israel as the smoke came off and as only Moses could go up into the presence of God. We're not standing back in that way as they did under the old covenant. We do not say with the woman at the well, hey, our, my fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews worship on that mountain. No, as Christians today, we draw near 
all the time. We don't worship on that mountain. We don't worship on that mountain. We worship because we come in the name of Jesus who now sits where? Not on a mountain, (laughs) not in a tabernacle. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high in the presence of God. That is what we do. So now, by the blood of Christ, we have unbroken access to the Father. Think about it like this. If you are a good parent, and I'm assuming most of us, hopefully, in here are at least pretty good. Yes, we are great sinners, and nothing brings out our sin like than, than parenting. But as good parents, which of you would deny your three-year-old daughter or your three-year-old son access to your bedroom in the middle of the night. Now, I'll just put a little caveat there. Our kids would come in our bedroom, and then we'd put them on the floor. But we would accept them and say, come on in, because they maybe have had a nightmare. Kids, you ever have bad dreams, and you get scared? And what do you do? You make your way down the hallway into your parents' bedroom. And you might come with fear and trembling, but what do you find from your good parents. You find comfort, you find security, and you come with confidence and full assurance that you will get help when you come into the bedroom. And I tell it on Josiah all the time, where's your favorite place in the world? In mom and daddy's bed. That is the place of comfort. And he would come with full assurance. In the same way, because of the blood of Jesus, We can draw near to God every second of every day. The old covenant high priest, as we've been, not going to all these details because we've been there for, for about a year. The old covenant high priest could only enter through the curtain into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And I will, I have to say that he came with great fear and trembling, but now We enter the holy place of God's presence because of the blood of Christ. Verse 20, take a look there. says that the curtain is opened. We know it's torn in two. The curtain is opened to us through His flesh. This is His body. This is His sacrifice. This is speaking of the cross of Christ. And as we've seen, we cannot compare the sacrifice of Christ with the sacrifice of those animals. Because he is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he is the radiance of God's glory. As right from the beginning, the book of Hebrews tells us. I think of Ephesians 2. Wow, Greg, we were there this morning, but I'm a little further, further along. But Ephesians 2, 12 and 13. Again, here we are in America, Gentile, church. We read these words. Paul says, remember, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealths of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what happens when We become Christians. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit works and we are given a new heart and we are converted and we believe on the Lord Jesus and we trust in Him. We are brought near as we were far off. Think about Moses in Hebrews. He's saying Moses was a faithful servant of that house, the tabernacle, 
and the law and all of those things there around that system of worship. And Moses was faithful, but he was a servant. But who is the Lord Jesus as the one who is faithful over his house? He is not just the slave. He serves us, for Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. But he is not the servant. He is the heir, Hebrews tells us. And he is not merely the priest. He is also the sacrifice. And unlike those animals who stayed dead, Jesus lives today. He is risen from the dead. And he is a priest forever after the order of who? Melchizedek, that wonderful one-time-off person was put right there just to point to the priesthood of Christ. Beautiful. Look at verse 20 in the text. We have access by the new and living way. Those animals all died and never came back to life. Look at, it's interesting. Look back at chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he does what? Always lives to make intercession for them. Look at chapter 7, verse 16. Who became a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, speaking of the, of, of, of the Levite tribe there, and Adam, excuse me, Aaron, but by the power of an indestructible life, pains of death could not hold him. So today, under the new covenant, we draw near to God because Jesus laid down his life on the cross. And he rose again. And now he lives, how long? As Greg would say as the teacher, how long? Forever. How long? Forever. We can't even put our minds around that. And in this and these wonderful truths, we find our assurance to draw near to God. And in these things, our faith is grounded. Therefore, we draw near to Christ with full assurance as that kid comes into our, child comes into our bedroom, full assurance, boldness, confidence comes their way. And confidence comes to us. Look at the second part of verse 22. Because of the person and work of our great high priest, our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies are washed with pure water. Just, I know I've spent a lot of time on that, those two particular things there, but just going back to the, to the ashes of that red heifer that they would use to purify their bodies, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit that will purify us. And then just the work and person of Christ on the cross that picked, as those bulls and goats pictured the cleansing of an evil conscience, we see that as well. And then he, there are some who would say that these verses speak and argue that baptism with water somehow or another aids in our washing. But I, I do not believe this is so. Our baptism is a picture of the washing that is real, that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with that in mind, I, I want to move on to, to hope. But just thinking about faith for just a few more minutes, at the work of Christ and what He has done for us, by way of application, let me ask,
just according to this text, what does faith look like? So when you think about all these doctrinal things from these five chapters, and now you've been asked, what does faith look like? Well, faith is described here as one who draws near from what? From the, from the heart. This implies, as we've said, and as we've seen in that illustration, boldness, confidence, and even joy. Lots of things we could, we could throw in there. This is the, the assurance of faith. These are the results, the person, the work of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could say that, that joy and, and, and you know, boldness and confidence, very clearly that these are gifts. These are gifts to us. But you know what? Faith itself is a gift. And so these things flow from faith. And so if we have, and I'm going to say this, if you are a Christian today and you have faith, then you're going to have confidence and joy and peace. And you're going to have full assurance. Unlike the people that stood back from the mountain, unlike sending the one high priest in, we have full assurance that is what faith looks like. And also, our faith is not... We, we just throw the word faith around. Our world throws the word faith around. But faith, from the biblical perspective, faith is alive. Faith is living. It is not dead. As the other religions of this world can never make faith sure. So I would ask us this morning, ask you, how is your boldness in approaching the throne of God? How is your confidence? How is your joy? How is your assurance? As you approach God. Now, only you can answer this question. But at the end of the day, like a child entering his parents' bedroom, a Christian is marked by the one who draws near to God with full assurance that he will not ever, because your sins have been covered by the blood of Christ, he will never cast you out. That's one very quick application. Another application by way of warning. Did you know that Hebrews, and we're going to get there next week, or in, not next week, but coming up, the last big warning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. But a warning for us. Everyone who names the name of God as their father is not a child. Now, you might say, John, how do you know this? Well, consider the words of Isaiah 29, 13. I'm going to read that. The Lord said, because this people draws near with their mouth... They honor me with their lips while their, what do you think it says? Their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Isn't the author of Hebrews just repeating that principle? There are the ones that Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Those who have the appearance of godliness but they deny its power. I think of Jesus' words. Here, here it comes back from Sunday school, Greg. Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. <laughs> On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works 
many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let that be a warning to us. And if you are a Christian today and you say, Lord, that, maybe that, that's me and I think about my works. Well, in repentance, in faith, look unto Christ who covers your sins. If you are not a Christian and this is the first time you've heard this, I would say to you, look unto Christ. Turn unto him. Repent and, and be saved. I could say much more here, but let's move on. That's faith and drawing near to God because of the sacrifice of Christ. The next truth that I want to look at is hope. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Here we see the word hope. We've talked about this before through the years. It comes up often. And we are all familiar with the word hope. All of us. I believe it's just something that God has, has, has placed in the hearts of mankind. Hope. And its meaning can be very subjective. Because we use it in so many ways. For example, we say things like, I don't know, is anybody, does anybody watch baseball anymore? I'm just curious. Anybody watching the World Series at all? Okay, Greg still watch, Dale still watch. We, I watch a little bit. I used to watch it a lot more. But we say, man, I hope the, the Phillies win the, is that who you pull for, Greg? Okay. Cincinnati has long been no good for so many years. So I hope the Phillies win the World Series. So we got a little bit of hope there. I hope they win it. Or, you know, we think about our kids. I hope little Betsy will play good enough to make the, the volleyball team or whatever she is going out for. I mean, I, sorry, is, 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 I see Kylie back there. I'm going to have to, she'd probably be very embarrassed, but it, we had her birthday this past week. Showed up over there and her grandmother comes with ice cream. Your grandma makes about the best homemade ice cream ever. And I'm thinking, she's coming in the door with all the ice cream and I'm in the back and I'm thinking, I hope... She brings chocolate. You know what? She brought chocolate. Now, I was kind of hoping for banana, but she brought cookies and cream, which was okay. But I was hoping, you know, hoping she would bring it. You know, I, there's so many ways we use the word hope. We say things like, you know, even with more serious nature, I, I hope that my cousin is, gets better in the hospital from whatever sickness they might have. Um, I mean, even in our, in our culture, we think about Star Wars and the hope of the rebellion, you know. They think that, you know, that one day there's hope that, that the empire will fall, the evil empire will be defeated. And we all get this concept. And here in this text, we see the author of Hebrews speak of the confession of our hope. And he says, hold fast like you're hanging off of the edge of a cliff with a rope, and if you let go, you will perish. Hold fast to this hope without wavering. You see, in our world, when I speak about the hopes that I just spoke of, what happens to them? They happen or they don't happen. They come and they go. They get stronger or they get weaker with the circumstances of life. It's just what happens with our hope. And when our hopes and the common things of this world fail, what happens with our hopes? They go, they, when, when the circumstances go down, so do our hopes. They go down as well. 
just think of all the hopes you've had in your life of the things that tragically did not happen. And I don't want to recount all of those with sickness and death and issues in our families. We have lots of hopes that did not happen and they just fall. They come and go. But the Bible, reading this morning, the Word of God teaches us there is a hope that does not waver and it is a different kind of hope than what I have been describing. We might call this the hope of all hopes. And what is this hope? It is the hope of a confession, verse 23. So what is this confession? What do we confess as Christians? Well, it is the con simple confession that Jesus is, he is the Son of God and he is Lord. But it's, it's, it's more than that as well. It is the confession that we believe Jesus came into this world. The incarnate Son of God took on flesh. It is the confession that Jesus is both the high priest and the sacrifice, the eternal offering of God. It is the confession that he died and he rose again and now sits at the right hand of God. This is the confession. We could say that in many ways. But we, this is what we confess. This is the confession of what we would call, and the Bible would call, the gospel of God. We see these kinds of confessions throughout the New Testament particularly. Let me give one example. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is an example um, of a confession. And by the way, we're going to talk, it's going to speak to us about hope in a moment. 1 Timothy 3.14, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I hope to come to you soon. Just keep that there. That might happen. That might not happen. Paul's like, I, I may come to you soon if I can get through all these prisons and the things that are happening. I might get to you and I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That is us. This is the church of the living God. And what is truth? It is what he calls, in these verses, the mystery of godliness. Look at verse 16. This is what he's saying to the church. This is what you hold on to. This is your confession. Verse 16, great indeed we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And so this is not just speaking here of just our sanctification or our growing in godliness or our being godly. This is talking about the gospel. And what is this mystery of godliness? What is this confession? And he continues. Here's a famous confession in the New Testament. I think as they came together as churches, they would often repeat these confessions. Here it is. He was manifested in the flesh... Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. This is the gospel we confess as Christians. This is the gospel we believe. And this truth, this hope, is sure. Brothers and sisters, there is only one hope, one hope only, that is sure. It is the hope of salvation found in the gospel of Christ. The Bible calls this in Colossians 1, the hope of glory. 
So if we think back to my examples of hope in this world, the things in which we hope in are almost endless. And though some of our hopes may come true, there's always an end to those hopes, these hopes in this world. In fact, the hopes of this world are transitory. We might even say that even the hopes that we have are just shadows and pictures of the one true hope. They will pass away with this world. And even now, even now, often our hopes are shattered. Often. I am sure that many of the difficulties in this life with which you are going through today and this week that you are thinking about in hoping that something will take place and some of the things that you can think about throughout life that you wish things would have happened differently and in the past you thought they were my hopes. Many of them have been shattered. And I am sure if you think back to those difficulties, those aren't the things that you hoped would happen that way. However, this one hope, when we look to Christ, there is no chance, no chance of failure. No chance. Because why? <laughs> That's what the, the writer of Hebrews is telling those Hebrew Christians there's no chance of failure here. He is a, a better hope. He is a superior sacrifice. There is a better city. All of these things, that's what the, the writer of Hebrews is saying. No chance of failure. Hebrews 6, verse 19. Look there with me. Let's turn back a couple pages. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our souls. A hope. There you go. The, the hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That is the sacrifice, the offering of himself of the Lord Jesus. Now turn back with me to 1 Timothy 3 again. Again, right from the beginning, we see Paul use this word hope in two ways, I see, or two ways in this text. In verse 14, he hopes to come to Timothy soon. This may or may not happen. Yet, there's, there's hope. And again, these are the hopes of this world. I hope my child will get better. I hope in the, that the war in Ukraine will go away. I hope my children will be godly. I hope my cancer will be cured. On and on we can go, as we've seen. But then we see, as Christians, our real hope is in this confession of the mystery of godliness. Verse 16 again. Let me read it again. He... This was the Lord Jesus Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Brothers and sisters, this is our confession, and we need to be reminded of this. And in this confession lies our hope, for our confession shows where our faith lies. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be, and vice versa. Where your heart is, there your treasure will also be. And our hearts and our treasures lie in the confession that Jesus is the Son of God and He did what He said that He came to do. And we look back and He did it. So both our faith and our confession is founded and secured in the person and work of our great High Priest. Now, I want to just also mention before trying to close the sermon down with some applications here in a moment. 
But I've left out, if you're looking at this text so far, you're probably thinking, wait a second, John, a lot more you could say. And I know I've skipped over some things because we've already hit them in past days. But I've left out something deeper and even more fundamental when it comes to the basis of our hope. Look at the second part of verse 23. This is that second exhortation. It says, for he who promised is what? Faithful. Our hope is in the gospel of our confession. Of course. That's what, he, that's what he just said. But there is no gospel if there is no faithfulness of God. How does the three-year-old child know to run into the bedroom in the middle of the night? Because he knows his parents are what? They're there. And they're faithful. And they're good. And they're going to do what they've done always. He knows their character. He knows they will not let him down. And it is an instinct upon which the child doesn't even have to think. The reason we have hope in the gospel of Christ is because our Father is faithful. He's faithful. Great is His faithfulness. I think of James 1. I think James is thinking of this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There's no sun coming across and moving a shadow. <laughs> more and more, more and more, I do love Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. Just look over at verses 5 to 7 with me. Which I think express this truth of the faithfulness of God. And, I, and I've hit, this is the third time for sure I've hit this. Maybe this is good for us. But look there at verses 5 to 7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Verse 7, then I said, this is, I believe, the Lord Jesus. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. I've come to do what is pleasing to you, O God. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book, these verses, 5 to 7, describe the will of God, the pleasure of God in sending the Son which I believe took place from before the foundations of the world. And the book of the scroll is none other than the secret book of the decrees of God. The secret book. And by His grace, He has revealed this promise. This promise comes to us in the Scriptures. This is none other than the mystery hidden and now revealed in the Son. So clearly revealed in the book of Hebrews. I think of Isaiah 53.10 which says it was the pleasure or the will of the Lord to crush him. Isaiah 53.10 And for our sake, as those who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the, brothers and sisters, this is the promise, verses 5 to 7, the promise to send the Son. This is the promise of all promises. So all the promises of the Old Testament are based upon that one promise secretly, mysteriously, before the foundations of the world, the Father, in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit there in their counsel 
for the Father to say, I will send the Son, and the Son says, I will go. It's a mystery to me. I think that's what it, all of the promises point to this one promise fulfilled. And here, as what is different from the Old Testament believers by faith and those Hebrews, they were standing on the other side of the cross, but we're standing after it has happened. And we stand on the other side. We behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And this is the promise of salvation upon which the helmet of hope is set. The helmet of salvation. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. And starting in Hebrews 11, as we will get there, Lord willing, we will see that all of those great heroes of the faith acted because they believed God and did not waver because they believed God as being faithful to the one who would bring about the promise one day. See that in Hebrews, we're going to see, I love it. and we're, It helps us to understand the Old Testament greatly. Hebrews eleven three. These all died in faith, talking about the Old Testament saints, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. The principle is the same in both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The faithfulness of God. They look forward with their pictures, their shadows, their copies. And what do we do? We look back to the substance itself. The fulfillment of God's promise. Therefore... Brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. I'm just going to repeat the scriptures to us as we begin to apply this for a moment. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. If you are drifting this morning, press on. Christ has covered your sins. We have a great high priest who sits in the heavenly places. We are seated with Him there if our sins are forgiven in Him. Draw near to God by faith. Hold on to this confession as you go out into this world, as everything comes against this confession. Know that God is faithful. Therefore, brothers and sisters, chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 1, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. I hope we've done that this morning. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, chapter 3, verse 12, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that are leading you to fall away from the living God. Take care. Therefore, brothers and sisters, chapter 3, verse 15, today if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. Chapter 4, verse 1, brothers and sisters, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, chapter 4, verse 11, let us strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We often look at Hebrews as just this big book of doctrine, a little bit about faith, but the whole book really is about this pastor warning those Hebrew Christians not to fall away, not to drift. And so he says, this is our great high priest and he cannot fail. He sits at the right hand of God. We cannot fail. Therefore, do these things. Some applications, very briefly, and then we'll we'll close it for this morning. We are confessing Christians. That's what we do. We tell the world that Jesus is Lord. Simply put, we walk out and we say Jesus is Lord. Now, what does that mean? It means all the five chapters of Hebrews. It means we tell them who he is, what he did, and what he came to do. And why we live our lives the way way we do. But we are confessing Christians and we must hold on to this mystery of godliness. That One example of this confession we see, see in the New Testament. And we urge men and women all over the world who are sinners such as we were. But we've been washed and we've been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. And we urge them to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Another application. Our hopes are not connected with the things of this world. This is a strong application this morning. Our hopes are anchored to Christ, His person and His work, and this confession that we've been going over. This means that many of the things we hope for in this world will fail, but our hope in Christ will not. This means also that when we're going through difficulties, persecutions and sufferings and anxieties and all the things the world brings to us that we can rejoice in our sufferings and we can let those hopes go but we do not let go we hold fast to that one hope that one hope hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ another application trust in the faithfulness of God when you're struggling look back to all the Old Testament promises, look at the New Testament promises, but look to the person and work of Christ. There's the promise. There's the fulfillment. And God is faithful. And there is no confession. <laughs> there is no drawing near with full assurance and, and with faith and hope and even love, as we'll see in a couple weeks. There is no confession if God were not faithful. So God is faithful. No matter what stage of life you are at, if you are a young person, a child, God is faithful. If you are middle-aged and you're going through, we're all going through stages of life, wherever we are. If you are older, if you're old and you're approaching the end of your life, God is faithful. Therefore, these same warnings go to all of us. Press on, press on, brothers and sisters. And then finally, again, I'll end with what I started with. The gospel of Christ And these things that I preach and that we preach from this church and the things we talk about do not motivate you to good works. Then you do not possess the gospel over a period of time because that is what the power of the Holy Spirit does in our lives. If there is no change of heart, there is no real change of action. I pray these words will be helpful to us this morning as we go out of this place knowing that, 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 that our, we can draw near to God in faith and full assurance with great confidence, and we can hold on to that one confession because of the faithfulness of God, and this is our hope. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we give thanks. You are so good to us this morning in these words. What a privilege and an honor to preach about you and about your glory and about the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this is not about me. This is not about us. May you be honored. May you be glorified today and help your people. Help us all that this hope and this confession would just go down so deep and we would grow today a little bit more, just a little bit more, more in our process of sanctification. If there is not, <clears throat> there's someone here who is not a Christian, Father, may they turn and look unto Christ even now and be saved and grab someone beside them and ask them questions and say, I, I'm a Christian. I believe these things to be true. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And may they transform us. And they, Father, we don't even have to ask. That happens, and we pray according to your will in this way. So, Father, give us, <clears throat> give us a good day today and this week. And if you're willing, that we might meet together again next week. We pray that would be so. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church. China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row NYMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.